what that does for my heart as a youth pastor, seeing the youth leading this morning. This morning we're going to be talking about the legacy of the dream. Our text is Genesis 48 and 49. It says, Sometime later Joseph was told, Your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, Your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up in his bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me. And he said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples. And I will give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine just as in Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born after you will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Paddan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while she was still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her beside the road at Ephrath. This is Bethlehem. When Israel saw that the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are your sons. They are the sons of God given to me. Here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing so he, because of his old age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right, right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, and though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before you whom my fathers Abraham, Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. The angel has delivered me from all harm. May he bless these boys. May, he, may they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. May they increase greatly upon the earth. Then Joseph saw the father placing his right hand on Ephraim and he Ephraim's head, and he was displeased. He took hold of his father's hand to move it. Ephraim to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, "No, my father, this is the firstborn. Put your right hand on on his head." But the father refused and said, "I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group." of nations. He blessed them that day and said, Your name will be Israel. Pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you as the one who is over your brothers, I give the ridge of the land I took from the Amorites with the sword and my bow. And then it goes on into Jacob blessing 
all 12 of his sons. It's really a lot of text, a lot going on. We've been reading and talking about and, and talking about the dreams in Joseph's life, right? The whole point of what I'm going to say this morning, if, it, if it's truly a God-given dream, it's going to impact not just you. If it's truly a God-given dream, it's not just for you. If it's truly a God-given dream, it's not just for you. Joseph's dream at 17 years old, do you think he knew that was going to impact his family? It's going to impact, we'll dig into it a little bit, but it's actually impacting us now here today. A dream that Joseph had at 17 years old is impacting us here today. It's the end of Joseph's story, but it's not the end. He knew it was not the end. Later on in, in chapter 50, he says, take my bones. When you, when you leave this place, take my bones with you. He knew it wasn't the end of the story. He knew there was something else happening. He knew there was more, more going to take place. I got a, a ripple on the screen. Talking about the ripple effect of the dream. Leaving a legacy. Not just through each other, not just through... Man, it, it, ripple effects through all kinds of things, including time. There's a ripple effect that takes place. It was a little over a year ago, pastor did a sermon series on the blessing. It was last January and February. Can anyone remember anything about the blessing? Were you paying attention? Does anyone remember the five key elements of a blessing? Does anyone remember any of those? Words of affirmation. Anybody else? Remember any of them? Meaningful touch. Spoken words. Expressing high value. Picturing a a special future. An active commitment. Blessing. Blessing is identifying and sharing the gifts you see in others. Words of affirmation. It's, it's identifying and seeing the, the gifts you see in others. Yes, with your, with your sons and daughters, physically even. They need parents' blessing. They need father and mother's blessing. They need not just words of criticism and words of, why don't you do better and why don't you get it right and why don't you do better in school? Why don't you get good grades? Why don't you do better in sports? Why don't you, come on. They need words of affirmation. They need positive encouragement. They need something that says, you know, I see this area, you're really good at that. It's a blessing. We want to bless our kids. Give them a vision of what God can do with their life. Give them a vision of what God can do with their life. Seeing the youth lead worship this morning. I've had that vision since before I got here. This year in our youth ministry, we've been talking about Philippians chapter 2 having the attitude and mindset of Christ Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. said he didn't look to his own interests, but looked to the interests of others. That mindset mentality, what does that look like in worship? What does that look like as as we're leading worship? I'm not looking to my own interests, but to the interests of others. You know, there's a time when we have to focus on the Lord, and it's, and it's an individual thing, and it's a God, bless me, God, touch me. But it goes beyond that to where suddenly I'm getting his heart for things. Suddenly I'm getting 
even in my worship, I'm beginning to sense His presence. I'm beginning to sense God's heart for the nations. I'm beginning to sense what He thinks about others. I'm going to tell you over and over and over, man, I'm, I'm come here this Wednesday. I'm t- telling you, it's powerful things have been happening. And I'm seeing it firsthand in our, in our worship, where I'll be standing at the back, just watching, praying, and it's like the heart of God just explodes. And I see kids start to minister one to another. I see kids start to minister to one another. And see this, this corporate expression of worship, where it's like I'm, I'm meeting with Jesus, but I'm not satisfied with just that. There's something in us that says, I want others to experience his love. I want others to experience who he is. I want others to experience his presence. Kids come into our youth ministry that have never experienced the presence of God before. Paul in Romans chapter 9. So I wish that I would be cut off for the sake of my brothers. His heart was so for others that he said, man, if, if I have to spend eternity in hell for the sake of my brothers and sisters, give them a vision of what God can do. Lay your hands on them. Touch them. It's not good enough just a handshake. Touching and blessing your children, praying over them, praying out loud. It's okay. My heart was broken and grieved. Uh, last month or so, we've been talking about the, the five senses in the physical and how that translates spiritually. Talking about our hearing. Are we hearing from the Lord? We're talking about seeing, taste, uh, tasting and seeing that he's good. Seeing his goodness and came down to touch, and I just, all week long, thinking about, do you know there's people in this world that have never been touched appropriately? Do you know there's people that have never been embraced? It's part of the blessing, part of passing on a legacy. Fathers and mothers, it's okay to touch your children. It's okay to hug them. We tell you, if you don't do it in a good, godly, healthy way, Embracing your children, they'll get embraced somewhere else, I guarantee you. So, this morning, we'll break down this blessing of God, this leaving a legacy. I went and looked up a bunch of different uh, things people said on their tombstones. It's pretty hilarious. Look it up sometime. <laughs> I was going to share some, but I won't. John Grisham. Anyone want to know who John Grisham is? He's a legal thriller author. He's actually a Christian. He uh, got saved when he was just out of law school. Found out one of his best friends had, was terminally ill. Basically, uh, not given a, a, a good shot to live. And he went up to his friend. He was like, how do you, 
How do you live like that? I don't get it. He said, oh, I'm in the right place with God. I'm in the right place with people. And I'm just going to live, live my life until he takes me home. That stuck with John Grissom. That ate at him. It gnawed at him. He had to go find out, how do you make yourself right with God? friend's response of death is near. I'm just going to live in the right place with God, with the right place with people, and I'm going to live my life like every day is a gift from him. There was a, uh, <clears throat> a sermon series kind of going all over the country not too long ago talking about one month one month to live. What if you had one month? What would you be living like? What would you do? What would your what are the goals and things you would do? What, what, what would your relationships with people be? What would you if it was your you had one month to live? What would you get done in that month? I'm trying to get the wheels turning here. What would life be like if you knew you had one month to live? What kind of legacy would you want to leave? What kind of So, in talking about the blessing and the ripple effect, first of all it started with Joseph, the individual. Can we get the next slide there? The individual. Starts with the individual. I've been blessed. He knows it's not just about him. you read at one point in the story, he bows down before Jacob, right? Second in command in Egypt, and he's bowing down before somebody. Joseph had gone through a maturing process. He had gone through the, what was it, last week pastor was talking about, the, or a couple weeks ago, talking about the What's the word? I don't know. Sorry. I'm a little scatterbrained this morning. I'm getting old. <laughs> Joseph had been through this long process. At this point, he was 56 years old. Jacob was 147. Jacob... Jacob had learned a few things. Jacob had a pretty had gone through some some hard things, some difficulties, some life of Jacob was not easy. Joseph learned something from Jacob. One of those things he learned was respecting and honoring your father. 
Here's Joseph, second in command in Egypt, and he's bowing before his father, showing honor and respect to his father. He didn't lose sight of didn't lose sight of what the dream is really all about. Part of the legacy is the blessing of God on your life, the individual. What has God done in your life? Started out youth group, uh, I don't know, a couple months just asking, what, what's, a, what's a testimony of what God's doing in your life? What is the blessing of God in your life? So many times we can go through it, go through, go through our life just coasting, not even thinking and processing. What is God doing in my life? How, we we can say it all we want that He's He is with us, He's present, He He's intimately involved in our life, but when we never stop to think about it, you have no idea what He's doing. No idea what he's up to. What's God doing in your life? He's asked five, what's he doing in your life? What's he showing you in the word? What's a, a specific answer to prayer? How's he used you this week? And how can we stand with you this week? Getting those those perspectives of what is God doing in my life? What is what is he pouring into me? What am I reading in the word? What am I praying about? We pray vague prayers and God bless Aunt Martha. What is a specific answer to prayer? If prayer is real and prayer is powerful and we know who we're praying to, why wouldn't we pray specific? When was the last time you had a specific answer to prayer? you haven't had a specific answer to prayer, one, you're not praying. Two, you're not asking specifically. Or you're just in a season. What is a specific answer to prayer? What is something he's showing you in the Word this week? We're going through the Saturate, man, it's powerful stuff. Remember the very first week I, very first time I preached here, I gave the illustration of three and five. How many remember three and five? Anybody? I see James. <laughs> Frida Lindsay one of the founders of Christ for the Nations down in Dallas, Texas. She'd been to almost every country imaginable. She had literally seen the dead raised, literally seen blind eyes open, literally seen all kinds of things happening all over the world. Every time they asked her to come and speak in chapel at Christ for the Nations, all she would come out and say, three and five, three and five. What's all that about? Three chapters a day, Five on Sunday, you read the Bible through in a year. 
Frida read the Bible through over 80 times in her life. Died at the age of 94. She would come out and say, three and five. I said, well, why, why? You've seen all these things. You've seen all these miracles, all these, the dead rays. You've seen all this crazy stuff. And all, you, you always pointed back to the Word. And read the Word. Get in the Word. Why? She said, I've been doing ministry for a long time. We've had 1,200 kids every year coming through Christ for the nation's. I've never met a backslidden Christian that read their Bible every day. There's something powerful about the Word of God. Get into it. Why did I go there? I have no idea. Individual the blessing. What is he doing in my life? What has he done for me? Joseph, Jacob even, in praying and pouring out his heart on his deathbed and saying, God is so good. God's brought me through. He's been my... Actually, one scripture there, he calls him my redeemer. It's the first time in scripture. Redeemer. Can't really get into it, but it's actually a messianic promise. Talking about the coming Messiah. The hope he had. The things God had brought him through. So he blesses the individual. Then he blesses family. Ephraim and Manasseh. There's a ripple effect. Our life is impacted, therefore our family is impacted. Not just family, family, but family of God. There's a... You know, for Joseph to bring his two sons to Jacob was basically forfeiting any any future history that those kids would have had with Egypt. Basically making a statement, my father's blessing is more important than anything. They were half Egyptian, his two boys, Ephraim and Nassau. And for Joseph to take his two boys to stand them before Jacob, and have the Father's blessing was to cut them off from what any future they had with Egypt. He was making a choice. Is it really all about power, position, fortune? really all about what's it really about I want the father's blessing father's blessings more important than all of that he 
Ephraim and Manasseh. It's, it's a long story, but they basically replace Reuben and Simeon. And, and, and Jacob's sons, Reuben and Simeon, Reuben uh, slept with one of Jacob's wives. Said, I'm sorry, you're really forfeiting your blessing. Then uh, Simeon and Levi, they had this long story, but basically they went to um, their half sister, got raped. They go to the guy that the guy and his family that raped her and say, well, we'll let you be a part of the family if you get circumcised. They get circumcised, and then three days later, he goes and wipes out their whole family and goes and wipes them out completely. Uh, so they had anger and rage and revenge and hatred and whatever else. Some things are really hard to talk about on a Sunday morning. But he basically says Ephraim and Manasseh are going to take the place of Reuben and Simeon. If you look at the, the, the maps in the back of your Bible, Reuben, Simeon, their tribes are not. Where are they? And live in the blessing. Reuben, uh, Ephraim, and Manasseh, actually what was taking place here, when Jacob says, whose, whose sons are these? It, it talks about his blindness a little bit in that passage, but basically, in researching and, and, and looking into this, basically what was happening, it'd be like a wedding when the pastor says, who gives this daughter to be married to this man. Basically, it was a, uh, the beginning of a ceremony. Whose sons are these? It was a formal ceremonial blessing. Whose sons are these? Joseph says they're mine. They're God's. Jacob, so we read deeper into the story, he was basically adopting Joseph's kids, is what was going on. He was adopting them as, as unto his own. God used Ephraim and Manasseh to replace the root of sin in the family. If it's truly a God-given dream, it's going to affect others. It's going to affect our family. It's going to affect those around us. I don't want sin to be the thing that's affecting people around me. I don't want sin to be the thing that's affecting my family. I don't want sin to be the thing that's 
holding back God's blessing over my family. Thirdly, it goes from the individual to the family to the nation. You think Joseph, when he had this dream at 17 years old, was thinking, I'm going to be basically saving the entire nation from starvation. He saved the entire nation due to starvation. He, he, he built up this reputation and this... We, we spent the last six weeks talking about the, the life of Joseph and, and how he... The dream he had and, and become second in command in Egypt. He built that kind of rapport that when his family and his tribe came, they had a sheltered place. It wasn't until later on when uh, Pharaoh didn't, they didn't have any recollection of who Joseph was and Joseph's family and, and all the family had died off. And, and then like the nation of Israel began to grow and began to spread and multiply. And, and finally the Egyptians said, man, they're growing so fast, let's, let's be harsh and deal shrewdly with them and let's oppress them. Let's make them our slaves. But up until that point, they had been growing and the blessing passed on from the individual to the family to the nation. And now they're growing and multiplying because of Joseph's dream. God gave Abraham prophetic picture about his family generations earlier saying, look up at the sky. See the stars? Your family's going to be as many as the stars. You see the sand on the seashore? Family's going to be like the sand on the seashore. That could have very easily died off with Joseph. If Joseph hadn't been put in a place of everything he went through. God preserved his chosen people. Lastly, our nation can impact the world. That's you and me future generations. The dream preserved the covenant of God's radical love with his people. The promise to Abraham through you the Messiah is coming. In Jacob's, in Jacob's prayer, he says, El Shaddai, God Almighty. He also goes on to say, 
my Redeemer. In 49.10, it talks about Jacob when he's blessing Judah. Talking about your, 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 your brother's going to praise you. Judah means praise, by the way. Your brother's going to praise you. And then he says something interesting in uh, 49.10. The scepter will not part from Judah, nor the ruler of the staff between his feet until the, he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nation is his. The scepter was a, a, a symbol of capital punishment. It was a symbol of rulership. It was a symbol of... It's interesting that it was 12 A.D. that the Jewish, the Jewish customs of capital punishment and holding the scepter that was taken from them. What's that? By the Romans. My wife is whispering things at me. By the Romans. The Romans took their their power to twelve AD is when Jesus showed up in the temple. Now look at it. The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler staff between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs. Even way back in Genesis, in the very beginning, there's messianic promise all over the place. They're talking about Messiah, talking about... Man, there's... It's all over the place. Can't even get into it all. So, I never really got into the whole switching the hands thing. Jacob blesses Ephraim, the secondborn, with his right hand, Manasseh with his left. He put Ephraim ahead of Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. We don't exactly know why he did that. Although it does say. When Joseph tried to stop him, no, 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 this is, this is, this is Manasseh over here. He says, no, I know, son, I know. It said in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, it was by faith Jacob blessed Joseph's sons. It made it into the faith chapter. It was by faith Jacob blessed Joseph's sons. There was something significant. I, I don't know. Jacob, I, I there's that thing with Ishmael. Ishmael and Isaac, they were reversed. There was Jacob and Esau ended up being reversed. There was Joseph ahead of his brothers. There was... And now Ephraim and Manasseh. 
thing that speaks is we so easily disqualify ourselves because we're not the firstborn. We're not, we're not God's chosen. We're not. Over and over again throughout Scripture, God uses the weak and the lame and the secondborn and the eighthborn. And the... He's going to use who He wants to use. He's going to bless who He wants to bless. We're called to pass on a legacy through example. What's your example? What example are you leaving for the next generation? What example are you leaving for your kids? What example are you leaving in worship? Your dream if it's truly God-given. will impact not only you, your family, the nation, the nations, the world around us. Oh, man. I'm going to leave you this... uh, story here. It's called A Nobody Named Kimball. Edward Kimball was concerned about one, about one of his young Sunday school students who worked at a shoe store in town. One day Kimball, visit, Kimball visited him in the store, found a student in the back stocking shoes, and he led him to Christ. Then and there, Dwight L. Moody eventually left the shoe store to become one of the greatest preachers and evangelists of all time. Moody, whose international speaking took him to the British Isles preaching in a little chapel pastored by a young, young man with the imposing name of Frederick Brotherton Meyer. In his sermon, Moody told an emotionally charged story about a Sunday school teacher He had known in Chicago who personally went to every student in his class and led each one of them to Christ. The message changed Pastor Meyer's entire ministry, inspiring him to become an evangelist like Moody. Over the years, Meyer came came to America several times to preach, once at Northfield, Massachusetts, a confused young preacher sitting in in the back row heard Meyer say, if you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, you're not willing to be... Are you willing to be made willing? That remark led J. Wilbur Chapman to response to the call of God in his life. Chapman went on to become one of the most effective evangelists of his time. A volunteer by the name of Billy Sunday helped set set up his crusades and learned how to preach by watching Chapman. Sunday Sunday eventually took over Chapman's ministry, becoming one of the most dynamic evangelists of the 20th century in the great arenas of the nation. Billy Sunday's preaching turned thousands of people to Christ. Inspired by a 1924 Billy Sunday crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, a committee of Christians were dedica- there dedicated themselves to reaching the city for Christ. The committee event- invited the evangelist Mordecai Ham to hold a series of evangelistic meetings in 1932. A lanky 16-year-old boy sat, sat in the huge crowd one evening, spellbound by the message of a white-haired preacher who seemed to be shouting and waving his long finger at him. Night after night, the teenager attended and finally went 
forward to give his life to Christ. The teenager's name was Billy Graham. The teenager who undoubtedly communicated the gospel of Jesus Christ more than any other man in history. Your legacy, the dream of the legacy, the legacy of the dream, you have, if it's truly God-given, you have no idea who it's going to impact. You have no idea. You think this, this guy, Kimball, goes in to share Jesus with a Sunday school student in a shoe store, would someday connect the dots all the way, leading to Billy Graham, who... The ripple effect. No idea who, who. It's exciting, man. We can't get worked up about. I have to look successful and be successful and be successful in the world's eyes in order to leave a legacy. Did you hear me? I have to be successful in order to lead a legacy. See, in America, we we determine success equals value. That is so against what God says. That's so against Scripture. Success determines value. No. We live in an American Idol culture that says, I've got to do better, I've got to be better, I've got to do better than everybody else, and I, I'm, I'm not good enough, and woo! We value ourselves on how successful we are. That is against everything taught in Scripture. When Jesus was leaving the Holy went leaving and one of his last words was wait here until the Holy Spirit comes. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Power to be a witness. A witness in a judge and jury situation is not try to convince anybody one way or another. All they do is tell the facts of what they've seen and heard. That's their only job. You tell the facts of what you've seen and heard. You don't try to convince anybody. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You're sharing Jesus with people and you're rejected a thousand times, you're just as successful as Billy Graham. Let me tell you. I think it says something about blessed as those who are rejected for my sake. So maybe you're even more. I don't know. What is the legacy you're leaving? What are you leaving behind? What are you passing on? Here's my stuff. Here's all my old junk. Really? Is that what you want to leave? Is that what you want to leave?
Can I actually ask um, Brenda and James and Norm? Is Dave Ogren here or no? Can I ask if you guys would just come stand behind? I feel like you don't want to have any big crazy giving away money or some crazy illustration this time, cow's tongues or anything. I feel like this is illustration enough. You guys back there leaving a legacy for us. Thank you. Andrew, you had a part in this. Who are you supposed to bless? God's dream for you is not for you. Think about your family. Think about the family of God. Think about the nation. Joseph had a dream at 17 years old. You know, Manasseh and Ephraim were 20 years old, around 20 years old, when they were blessed. So it says, Jacob took them on his knee, he embraced them, and he kissed them. It wasn't like taking a little baby. Bless you. There's a powerful thing that happens when we pass on blessing to one another. And it's not just wishful thoughts and wishful thinking, but it's saying, and it's, it's imparting something that, that God has given you into somebody else. telling you there's there's a there's a maturity that takes place when we can get what God has blessed us with and learn to give it to somebody else learn to impart it to somebody else learn to bless somebody else with it if you don't get to that point and it's only for you what good is it I don't want to dream like that I don't want to dream for me We're talking about the year to dream. We're talking about something that's bigger than just you. Something bigger than just our congregation. Can we just take a little time and bless one another? It's not complicated. It's more than just a handshake. It's speaking words of truth. giving them a vision for what God can do. It's identifying and sharing the gifts you see in one another. I leave you with this with this blessing. The Lord your God is with you. The Lord your God is with you. 
He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. God, I pray that over us this week as we go from this place. That we would walk in confidence that you are with us. That you are mighty to save. God, that you take delight in us. God, you quiet us with your love. You rejoice over us with singing. God, we walk in that. God, that you're with us this week. God, we ask that we would be a people that know how to bless. That know how to bless one another. Know how to bless the next generation. We know how to bless... God, we've received your blessing. We poured it out into our family, into our church, into our community. We poured it out into those around us in a way that it's going to influence impact for generations to come. Teach us how to walk in that blessing. In Jesus' name.